Good morning. Since I'm the children's pastor here at church, it probably doesn't surprise you that I'm tearing up the children's toy here. This toy, uh, probably most of us will play with a toy like this at some point in our life. If we didn't play with it as a kid, maybe we play with it uh, with our kids. It's a real, uh, I forgot to take some of these out. Hang on one second. Now i got to put them all back in. Hang on one second. I thought I was all prepared and everything. It's harder than it looks. Okay, so it's a real simple concept. All right, so you have these shapes, and you have to fit them into this ball. So you take some of these shapes here, and you, you know, right, so you find the right shape, and you put the hole, you put the shape in the, to the right hole that matches the shape. Uh, some time ago, I started playing with this with my 17-month-old son, and uh, sometimes we'll pick it up and we'll start playing with it, and uh, so he'll take a shape, and he'll uh, pick up the ball and he'll start to put the shape into the ball because he understands the concept that you have to put the shape into the ball. All right, and that these shapes go through holes in the ball. But um, he hasn't got real good about putting the right shape into the right hole. All right, And so sometimes he'll pick up the ball and he'll pick up a shape and, and he'll start pushing it in. If it doesn't go in at first, then he turns it a little bit and he's to watch if it drops in. And then if it still doesn't go in, he starts to push it a little bit. And if it still doesn't go in, he gets this real determined look on his face and he kind of gets kind of serious and he's pushing and pushing and pushing. Sometimes I can even see his fingertips start to turn red because he's trying to push so hard to fit it into the hole. And I'm like, Josiah, it's not going to fit, buddy. You, that shape doesn't go into that hole. It doesn't fit. It's not going to fit there. And he's still pushing away and pushing away. Right? As hard as he can to get that little thing in that hole, right? I finally show him, you know, where the hole goes, where the shape goes into the right hole and everything. Um... Do you ever feel like one of these shapes sometimes? That you have this, this type of pressure put on you or this pressure on you somehow to fit. To fit not into an old pair of jeans, right? I mean, we've been there, right? I'm not talking about fitting into an old pair of jeans. Or uh, I'm not talking about fitting into a club, all right? I'm talking about fitting into your I'm talking about fitting into your culture, right? This incredible pressure to fit into our culture, into our community, right? Probably we've all been there because we all have something called the flesh, right? And that's the like the uh, uh, that's the like earthly part of us that that wants to belong, to be included, to fit. To fit into our culture, and uh, it's a it's a heavy it's a heavy pressure right? coming from the flesh. But most of us here, at least I I think probably most of us here have at some point received Jesus Christ into our life. Okay, now when I say that, I mean that we've come to understand that God loves us so much that He sent His Son Jesus. To die for us. He came from heaven to earth. He lived a life. He died on the cross for our sins and he rose again. And at some point, we have come to believe that. And so we ask 
for God's forgiveness of our sin through the death and resurrection, uh, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that way, we don't have to pay the punishment for our sin because our sin's got to be accounted for somewhere along the line, right? And if we don't do it, then Jesus did it on the cross, right? But we've got to believe that and we've got to ask for his forgiveness. And at that point, as soon as we give our life over to God, for God to be in charge, he sends us his spirit. He sends us the Holy Spirit into our life. And so now, as Christians, who also have the flesh, we have this incredible tension in our life. A tension, right? Between living on this earth being wrapped up in this flesh that I'm born with, wanting to belong in this culture, wanting to fit into this culture, and also having the Holy Spirit live inside of me. And the Holy Spirit was sent by God to the believers so that He can encourage and equip and convict and strengthen us as we seek to live a life that pleases God, which most of the time, I think, goes against our culture. Right? We have this incredible, this incredible stress, right? This tension, this tension between our lives on earth in the flesh and the Holy Spirit wanting us to follow God. So what do we do with it? What do we do with it? That's what I'm going to talk about this morning. I'm going to ask that you please open up your Bibles to Hebrews. The book of Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews 11 is towards the back of the Bible. The book of Hebrews is towards the back of your Bible and the, towards the back of the New Testament. And Hebrews chapter 11 has become known as the faith chapter. It's called the faith chapter because it gives us quite a long list of people in the Bible who had faith in God. And their faith in God caused them to be obedient. To be obedient to God. Now that's something that we need to understand right off the bat here. Okay. Uh, sometimes we think we can separate faith and obedience. All right. you, you, I don't think you can do it. Faith and obedience are tied together. You can't have faith without showing that you have faith. You can't have faith without acting out your faith. That's what faith is. right? So faith and obedience cannot be separated. And these people here in this chapter... They had faith in God. And because of their faith, then they obeyed God daily with their life. This is known as the faith chapter because it gives us a lot of examples of people in the Bible who had faith and who obeyed God. It's a long chapter. I'm not going to read the whole thing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a little bit. Then I'm going to summarize a little bit. Then I'm going to read a little bit more. And then I'm going to summarize a little bit more. All right. So I want you to follow along with me in the first verse of Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Then it goes on in verse 4, and it talks about the faith of Abel. And then it talks about Enoch in verse 5. In 7, it talks about Noah. And then in 8 through 12, it talks about the faith of Abraham. And then in 13, it says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. 
And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show, show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And then it goes on. And it talks about the faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Verse 23 talks about Moses. Uh, then it goes on, uh, talks a little bit about Joshua, talks about, talks about Rahab. And then in verse 32, it gives a list of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. And there's probably a few in there I missed. All right, that's a lengthy list. A lengthy list of people who had faith in God and who obeyed God. I want us to go back up to verse 13. In the last... <clears throat> In the last sentence of verse 13, it says, And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. It calls them aliens and strangers. It doesn't call them heroes. It doesn't call them superstars, kings, or princes. Aliens and strangers. As I was studying for this passage, I... I found out what that word strangers means in the original language that it was written in. That word's describing somebody who is traveling through a foreign country, who did not have a home there, who did not have a residence there. He didn't belong there. And because of that, the people in that country and the people in the communities that he was traveling through, uh, they looked down on that person. All right. He wasn't really accepted. Uh, he was uh, kind of treated with suspicion. To say that he was hated is probably a little too strong, I got the sense. But he was definitely not held in, in a, a position of high esteem. All right? He was looked down upon. But this is the phrase used to describe these incredible men and women who showed faith and obeyed God. Strangers and aliens. Strangers and aliens who didn't belong. I could choose probably any person in this, in this chapter to, to make my illustration this morning. But I want us to go to verse 7. And we're going to talk about Noah this morning. It says, By faith Noah, which warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world, and he became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Okay, uh, all right, so the story of Noah is told to us in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. And I'm going to summarize it, all right? Basically what happened is that uh, back in Noah's day, uh, the people of his time became very wicked, all right? Evil, I mean, wicked to the core. And Genesis chapter 6 tells us they were so wicked that God grieved he grieved that he even made mankind. That is taking wickedness to a whole new level, friends. I mean, that is serious wickedness. All right. So God decided that he was going to destroy every living thing on the face of the earth. All right. He was going to flood the world. And he found one righteous person. And, of course, that was Noah. God comes to Noah and he says, Noah... I'm going to start over. 
And I'm going to start over through you, your wife, your three sons, and your three sons' wives. So I want you to build this giant ark. And I want you to take uh, two of every animal onto that ark. And I'm going to bring a flood. And I'm going to save you and your family and those animals. And I'm starting over. So Noah started building that ark. All right. There's a few things that we need to understand, first off, about Noah. First off, he did not live anywhere near a... Uh, uh, like a large body of water, all right? So he was not near an ocean or a big lake. He was just, he just wasn't near them. Second law, and, and the second thing, he had never seen it rain. And the people of his time had never seen it rain. It had never rained on the earth before God sent that flood. So they had never seen a flood, all right? And, uh, and so now you have Noah who starts building this ark. And he is surrounded by wicked, evil people. All right. Just imagine for a minute the comments he must have endured. All right. As I'm sure he had many, many conversations. Because actually, uh, uh, the Bible scholars have... have uh, uh, so they've done their math in, this, in the first few books of, of the book of Genesis. And they found out that it takes... Or that it took Noah anywhere from 50 to 100 years to build that ark. 50 to 100 years. 50 on the low end. Probably not quite 100 as they did the math with the age of his sons and how long the flood was. And 120 years is mentioned, that kind of thing. So they come up with anywhere from 50 to 100 years to build an ark. Right? That's a long time. I know that Noah lived a lot longer than uh, uh, than we do today. But 100... But, uh, 75, 100 years to build an ark, that's a long time. And so here's Noah, and he gets up every morning. And he goes and he builds that ark. And he starts cutting down that wood. And he starts nailing the ark together, whatever he used. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the comments he got from his community as he's building that ark? Nowhere near the ocean, friends. Nowhere near the ocean. They'd never seen a flood. They'd never seen a rain. These were wicked, evil people he was surrounded by. Can you just imagine, imagine the persecution he went through for 50, 75, 85, 100 years? Wow. Uh, I think probably it would have been very tempting for Noah to tone down his obedience to God just a little bit, right? I don't know for sure, but I would think maybe he was tempted to just build the ark a little smaller, right? So it wouldn't be quite so odd in the middle of this dry place, all right? Because this is a big ark he's building. This thing is big, all right? Or maybe it was tempting for Noah to take his family, pack his bags, take his things, and go to the ocean. We're having this enormous floating vessel would have made a little more sense. All right. But there, in the middle of his home, in the middle of his community, he builds this enormous ark. I would think it would have been tempting for Noah to tone down his obedience. Do you ever feel like Noah, friends? Do you ever feel like Noah, as you're obeying God, as you become more and more like him, as you obey him, that you just don't fit. 
that you don't fit into this culture. That you're a little different. That you're a stranger. That you are a, an alien. Hmm? I can only speak for myself, but I think probably I have this in common with you. Sometimes on those difficult days when you don't feel like being a stranger or an alien anymore, it's so tempting to just tone down your obedience a little bit. To try to find that narrow line, right? Between God and obeying Him and becoming like Him and fitting in to this culture. To try to find that spot where God and our culture meet and Walking down it. Do you ever feel that way? Man, because you'll get tired of being a stranger and alien in this culture, right? Right? I think it's safe to say that line does not exist. It doesn't exist. That's not called obedience to God. That is called being double-minded. And God makes it clear in the scriptures. He does not condone double-minded people. But it's so hard. Right? It's so hard. Because our flesh wants to belong. But God says, don't. Don't belong. Be a stranger. Be an alien. Right? How does Noah do it? How did he do it every day for a hundred years to get up and build that ark in that wicked, wicked, wicked community? How did he do it every day? The Bible tells us exactly how he did it. Verse 16, Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Instead, they, which includes Noah, They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Noah was longing for heaven. I like that word longing. I like that word longing. Some translations use the word desire. But I like the word longing that the New International Version uses. That communicates to us his deep hunger. A deep hunger for heaven. Noah was excited for the day that he would meet God and bow down to him and live forever with his God. He longed for it. It was his motivation. It got him up in the morning to take on the persecution and the ridicule and the laughter and to build that ark day after day after day after day for a hundred years to build that ark. He lived, he longed for heaven. He longed for heaven. Do you know what the Bible teaches us about heaven, friends? Do you know what the Bible teaches us in Revelation 21? Get this. The Bible says in heaven there is no more death. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more tears. Friends, that is worth longing for. Not some silly new house. Or a job promotion or a fancy vacation. Those aren't bad. God knows I want those things sometimes too, right? Those aren't bad, but they aren't worth longing for. They aren't worth living for. Right? God knows I struggle with the same thing. 
They aren't worth living for. What's worth living for? Nobody shows us what's worth living for. It's heaven. Every day, I think, I don't know, I imagine Noah woke up thinking about heaven. He had to. And look at his situation. Probably on lunch breaks with his sons as they were building the ark. Maybe they sat around and talked about heaven. Right? What's heaven going to look like? Where are they going to go? What are they going to do? Who's going to be there? I don't know. Who knows? Maybe in the evenings when he drifted off to sleep, he was thinking about heaven. I don't know. I do know the Bible says he longed for heaven. He longed for heaven. What are you longing for? What are you longing for? I can tell you the very natural sequence of events of what happens to us as we long for something besides heaven and besides spending eternity with God. It's very natural. And we all see it every time and we see it all the time. Right? The first thing we do is we begin to spend all of our time and our energy and even our finances on attaining, on attaining this other thing, whatever it is that we're longing for, right? And we spend our energy trying to get it. Whether we get it or not really isn't all that important, all right? But we spend our time and our energy there. And before long, God, God becomes something in the distance. He takes fourth or fifth or fifteenth or twentieth priority in our life, right? Because we aren't thinking about Him. We're thinking about what we are pursuing. And then one day, maybe many years later, we wake up and we decide or we find out that we are very unhappy spiritually. Very unhappy. And we begin to ask, why am I so unhappy? Why is God so far away? Right? It's because we weren't longing for Him. We weren't longing for eternity. We spent our time longing after these other things. You know what the Bible teaches us happens to these other things? It says, rust and moths destroy them. The houses break down. We get job transfers. Our vacation ends. Whatever. Right? God doesn't want us living for those things because He knows how unhappy we will be. And He knows He's got a place for us in heaven. I really don't think that we would have heard Moses saying, well, you know, I guess heaven's fine. You know, it's good. And I guess I'm excited about it, whatever. It's out there somewhere. But I got this whole ark project going on right now. And I got all these animals. I got to find a way to get into that ark. And how am I going to do all this? And there's just me and my three sons. And my, I can't really worry about heaven someday because I got all this other stuff going on, right? Right? No. No. It was heaven that gave him the motivation. Heaven was how he dealt with it. The hope and the knowledge that one day he will bow down before God and worship him and spend eternity with his heavenly father. That's awesome. What are you longing for? Hmm? What are you longing for? No doubt that if we're longing for heaven and if we're seeking to live a life that glorifies God in our daily obedience, we are going to be strangers, friends. We're going to be strangers. I mean, let's come to the reality of it. We aren't going to fit into the culture. We just aren't. We will be different. And you aren't going to have to stand up at the top of a mountain and shout, I'm different. I'm a stranger. I'm an alien. You aren't going to have to do that. Your actions will speak very clearly to the people around you. And your coworkers and your family and your neighbors and your friends, they're going to know you're different. 
you're different. I'm not saying you're a psycho. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying you're different. You're a stranger and an alien in this world if you are living in daily obedience to God. Are you different? Because that's a good way to measure where you're at with God. Because if you fit in and no one's really even sure what you're about, you got some things to think about. All right. What was Noah? He was a stranger and an alien in a wicked world. How did he cope each day? Because he wasn't longing for this world anyway. He had an eternal perspective. He understood his life on earth was going to be short. Right? It was going to be short. But eternity with God, now that's forever. That's an eternal perspective. He lived for eternity. He was a stranger and alien. He dealt with it each day because he was living for heaven. He was living for God. Why? Why would he do that? Well, the obvious answer is because God came to him and told him to build an ark, right? I mean, you hear God tell you to build an ark, you build an ark. But there's something else very important in this passage in verse 16. It says, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared a city for them. Let's go back to the first phrase there. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Friends, do you ever read the Bible sometimes and you come across a verse and you try to just kind of gloss over it real quick because you really don't want to deal with what that verse says? I was working through that situation as I was preparing for this message. Because I kept reading that verse. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Forced me to ask myself some questions I didn't really want to ask myself. And that question is this. When I get to heaven... And as I see God, and I bow down before my Savior and my Lord, and I bow down to Him, is God going to be proud of me? Or is He going to be ashamed of me? Hmm? I'm not worried about whether or not He's going to love me. I know God's going to love me. Because God's love for me is perfect, right? It is holy. It is perfect. It will not decrease. It will not increase based on what I do, right? It can't. He's holy. It's a perfect love. He loves me. It will not change. And His love for you is perfect. It will not change. No matter what you've done, where you've been, what you find yourself, what situation you find yourself in today, His love for you is so magnificent, so perfect, so holy, we can't begin to imagine His love. I know he's going to love me. And I know he's going to receive me. Because I have the blood of Jesus Christ poured down over my sins. And they're gone. Because he died for me. And I've put my faith in that. I know he's going to receive me. I know he's going to love me. I know he's going to receive me. But when I see him and I bow down before him. What's he going to say? Is God going to come up to me and say, Dan, Dan, well done. You were a stranger and an alien. And I know it was hard. But you lived for me and you obeyed me and you did what I asked you to do. Well done, Dan, well done. Or am I going to hear him say, Dan, I love you. 
But why? Why were you afraid to be so different for the cause of Jesus Christ on earth? Why were you afraid to be so different? I do not want to hear that. I know none of us want to hear that. Right? We don't, we don't want to hear that. We wouldn't be here today if we wanted to hear that. So we've got to ask, ask ourselves a question. Am I a stranger and an alien in this world? Or do I fit right in? Am I trying to walk that narrow line between God and my obedience to Him in this culture? Because again, friends, that line doesn't exist. You either follow God or you don't. And as you do, as your faith causes you to obey Him, you will be different. You will be. I mean, let's come to grips with that. That is part of the Christian faith. They nailed different people to a cross one day on this earth. Right? Where are you at? This this sermon was hard for me to prepare. I'm not going to lie to you. Right? The questions I asked you, I had to deal with in my own life. Noah was a stranger and an alien. He did it because he longed for heaven. He understood heaven is eternal and as God is eternal and he will be there someday. And he did it because someday he knew if he did, he would stand before his God who was not ashamed to be called his God. Well, now I'll just give it to you and Ask that you think about this week. Where are you? How are you doing? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.